Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Another week, another inspirational story from an amazing immigrant. But before that, I'd like to thank you for joining me here. I am grateful that you are here, my regular listeners and new listeners. For the ones that want to know, you can follow us on all the social media at An Immigrant's Life. That's the best way to keep in touch and connect with me. However, you can also email me at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. And please, if you like what I'm trying to achieve here, I'd appreciate if you subscribe to the podcast on any podcast platforms that you prefer. Now, let's talk about the episode. Yo, this week's episode is a heavy hitter. I sat down with a special woman that inspires and encourages other people to be their best version of themselves. And as always, I talk too much. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a digital marketing specialist and a mindset coach. She has a smile as sweet as an apricot and a voice as beautiful as a nightingale. Everyone, please welcome Zara Bagramian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, Zara. Thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So before we move on to the nitty-gritty, as they say, would you like to promote anything? I would just like to say that, yes, I am a mindset and energy coach, and that's what I do for my passion. It's my passion business. Uh, And I work with uh, people living abroad and going through difficulties and changes and transformations in the different countries, Mm -hmm. Um, finding their passion, looking looking for the dream life the world chasing. And I'm here to support with the mindset and bring your energy to that. Awesome. Well, say your Instagram account or your website or whatever else. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Instagram at the.great.move. And my website is thegreatmove.co if you want to check it out and drop me a note. I'll be happy to connect. Awesome. Oh, yeah. For the listeners, check it out. It's my fav- one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow. Thank you. So... Before we start your history or your background, I want to ask the most important question for me is, why did it take you 30 years to learn how to ride a bicycle? (laughs) Well, my parents never taught me, A. Mm. And then B, I think I was always scared of just uh, getting on two wheels. For me, it was like a crazy idea. And um, I tried a couple of times when I was a kid. My dad tried a couple of times. It didn't work, so we gave up. And from there on, I just decided that I'm not going to ride a bike. And at the age of 30, I thought it was a time to revise that belief. <laughs> but I'm sure you had cousins or friends that ride the bike. Yes, I do quite a lot. And I was always the person who's like running beside the bike, not actually running. They never <laughs> showed you how to do it or like, you know? Uh, again, they tried, and they were very nice to to try to do that. But I guess I just was not dedicated enough 
to to do it to learn you were really scared huh i was really scared oh wow it was my sister who taught me how to ride i always remember she's like just look far pedal like a crazy maniac and once you get hurt after that you're gonna be better you're gonna learn how to ride and i really believed her so one day i was so she pushed me i started pedaling i fell and i scratched my knee and I start bleeding, right? And then she goes, and then I look up to her and say, yo, I'm going to ride a bike now, right? And she says, yeah. And I swear to God, like after that, that was it. I was riding the bike like Lance Armstrong. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. Riding a bike for me is kind of a metaphor for life too. Mm. I see it a lot. And as I started like doing this transformation on my own and getting more into coaching closer to my 30s, that's when I think I started thinking about the bike and going back to it because mm. it's it's interesting like you say when you when you ride a bike you're really scared obviously at first mm. and you might get hurt at first but it only takes one shot to to get hurt to like overcome that fear and then from there on it's a smooth sailing and just like that in, in life with everything right if you only need that one push that one step mm. and then it's it's a nice journey from there on for sure so who did teach you how to ride a bike? My boyfriend, actually. He bought me a bike for my birthday. That was a gift for my 30th. And we started right away. You went in the, in the parking lot and he just pushed you? In a parking lot, in a park, at home, anywhere we could. Oh, it took a while? It took a while. Oh, my God. Man, you got a good one there, man. I hope not patience, man. I'll be like, Sarah, get on. I'll push you down the hill. And if you don't make it, I'm sorry. You're dead. No, I guess he loves me too much to do that. Hey, I love my wife too, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Anyways, so let's talk about your history a little bit. Where were you originally from? So I'm from Armenia. I was uh, born in Armenia. And when my parents were sort of going through difficult times in Armenia, when I was one year old, they moved to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in Ukraine and I spent my whole life living in an immigrant family and being immigrant since I was one year old. Mm -hmm. It was definitely different experience for me. Um, and Ukraine is very much, um, it's not a country of immigrants. Mm -hmm. So you don't get a lot of um, multicultural people from different backgrounds, right? So it was a, quite a challenge for me as a kid to understand that I was different and uh, deal with those challenges as they come. And then at the age of 21, I decided to move to Canada. Mm. I always wanted to move abroad since I was 16. Like it was always my dream. Mm -hmm. And it took me five years to just figure out where I want to go, what I want to study. And Canada was a good option because... It's a safe country. It's welcoming immigrants, and it's uh, it's very multicultural, which I love about that. Awesome. We'll talk about more about Canada later. I just want to focus on your childhood. Sure. So you said in Ukraine, it wasn't really uh, immigrant welcome society. Did they make you feel that you're not welcome? I think unintentionally, kids in the school did, uh, and like I said, it, it's definitely unintentional because kids don't know better. They just know that everyone is the same in, in their circle. Mm -hmm. And um, I was different. So, um, you know, there were definitely some comments made um, 
I don't think they were made from the bad place. I think it was just um, the society we were living in. Mm-hmm. But what do you mean you're different? Do you, you the look wise, you don't look the same as them? I think it was so. I had a bit of an accent in Ukrainian when I started school. Um, I didn't understand everything in Ukrainian. My parents spoke to me in Armenian at home and a bit of Russian, but um, Ukrainian was something new for me when I went to school. So sometimes I didn't understand what they were saying to me. And uh, I would wear different things sometimes. I would eat different food. I would listen to different music, Mm. right, before I went to school. And then I sort of assimilated and started becoming more like Ukrainian kids. And yeah. just learning more about Ukrainian culture. Yeah, yeah. You'd be like, I'm tired of being bullied, man, for my food and shit. I wouldn't say I was bullied, but kids kids are kids, you know? They don't know better. Good person. Did you live in a city or the suburbs? I lived in the city, yeah. Oh, wow. Big city? Yes, I was in Kiev, in the capital. Mm-hmm. So it's a big city. You mentioned that life wasn't as good in your homeland. Was it better when you moved to Ukraine? I think for my parents, um, in terms of, you know, opportunities that they had in Ukraine, they definitely had more opportunities than back in Armenia. Armenia back then was going through very hard times. Um, The country was basically rebuilding and, and going through a lot of changes. So... From my parents, yes, my dad found a better job opportunities, and I've always been grateful to Ukraine for for those opportunities for my family. Um, in terms of me, um, I was I was too young to remember. Mm-hmm. What kind of kid were you? Were you a good kid? Oh yeah, I was a straight A girl. I was always everything on time, everything done, homework done. My parents never had any problems with me. Yeah. Or else they'll beat you up. <laughs> or else they'll be probably frustrated. Yes, just like any other parent. I love that you said, or else they'll be frustrated. Because my family's frustration is different. I don't know if it's the same as yours, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. So 16, you said, you know what? I'm done with this place. I'm moving. I know you went to England. Did you plan to go to England? Yeah, when I went to England, I was 19, and that was my first experience in this like multicultural environment. Hmm. And I think that's when I really started realizing that I want to live in a country like that with a different background. And England was um, mostly to learn English first, but then as I started diving deeper into different cultures, um, it finally felt like I'm I'm home. You know, it finally Hmm. felt like I'm understood. And everyone is different and it's okay to be different. Mm-hmm. Why was there no English school in Ukraine? Um, no, the Ukraine, the, the school that I went to, it was a Ukrainian school. We did study English as a part of it, but it wasn't an English school. Yeah. It's so funny that you said like, oh, had, you had to move to a different country to learn English. And you're not the first one that I've spoken to. I mean, luckily, Philippines, they... English is pretty much the second language, so we didn't really have to move. All, but however, it's not like we talk. We speak English constantly. You know what I mean. We we still speak our mother tongue, the Tagalog. But it's it's still crazy for me that you have to move to learn a language. 
Yes, yes. I was fortunate enough to learn some of the English back home in Ukraine. Mm. So that was helpful. I actually, um, I was a linguist in Ukraine. So I have a bachelor in linguistics. Okay. So I went to university for languages and I've learned English and Spanish. Uh, so it was an easier transition for me when I went to England. And then when I came to Canada, it was easier transitioning in terms of the English. Okay. This is, has been coming up during the podcast with other guests. When they moved, they thought their English was good. Did you feel the same? When I moved, I thought my English was good. I don't think so. No. <laughs> but did you think, did you believe that your English was good? And then you jump in and then start speaking English fluent. I mean, 100%. And you'll be like, oh, I do not speak English. Yes. Um, I think I thought that I knew a lot. And I mm -hmm. thought that I can keep up the conversation and just be natural in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Until I came, yeah, I think to Canada. And then when I travel, I traveled a lot in U.S. as well. Yeah. I think that's when I started realizing that maybe my English is a bit stiff. You know, it's not the conversational English. It's a yeah. book, bookish English. I just had a guest like that. Like, exactly. Like textbook English. How are you today, sir? I'm good, ma'am. You know what I mean? And then they'll yeah. be like, you know, having conversation. I mm -hmm. would not say I was... Textbook English, I've, I've always been conversational English because mm. I always watch movies and I practice in front of the mirror and then, you know, listen to hip hop or whatever English music. So it wasn't a big deal when I moved. However, when I moved, I, was, I didn't speak for like, I don't know, maybe three months. I was just quiet because my plan was to study their accent, how they speak, because I felt like that's the best way and the fastest way for me to assimilate. And they'll think, you know, they, 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 the Canadians will think that, oh, he's one of us. Mm -hmm. And I, like for three months, I didn't speak till I finally perfected it. Well, perfected, you know. And sometimes I'll talk to people and I'm like, oh, they'll ask me if I grew up here. I'm like, no, I moved like three months ago or whatever. And they'll be like, how come you speak different like the other ones? Meaning the Filipinos, you know. And I'm like, right. I don't know, dude. That's how I speak. Leave him alone. That's great. That's great. You were, you were able to master it so quickly. I, I always loved English. Always loved English. Even when I was young, uh, I used to watch like English shows. I tried to translate it to myself. Because like you said, there's textbook English and then there's conversational English, right? There are some like uh, saying in English that like, you don't know what that means. Like it doesn't make sense. And obviously, learning English, I'm pretty sure you know as a linguist, you cannot translate word by word or else it wouldn't make sense. Right. Yeah. You said you speak Spanish. You still speak Spanish? A little bit. Yes. I stopped really learning it when I moved to Canada because I was so focused on English. Hmm. I think I understand more now than I speak. So I'm like a smart dog. You know, I can understand everything, but I can't say anything back. Maybe it's based on confidence. It's possible, yes. I think if I ever go into a Spanish environment and live there for, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is cracking, uh, for a couple of months, mm -hmm. I think it will come back pretty easily. I love your accent, by the way. It's so mixed. Thank you. It's just like there's some Canadians there, and then, so, and then all of a sudden it becomes English, like England English, 
And then a little bit of your uh, Ukrainian background. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, man. Thank you. Welcome. But no, I, I love I love people that have accents. It's my like because I know it gives me like idea that like, oh, they're not from here. And then it makes me curious. Oh, where are they? Where are they from? You know, then start asking like because. You know, there are some words that when a person from Armenia or Ukraine or England, once they say it, it will always be that sounding, especially if the name of the country. Right? If I say like Ukraine, it'll be like something else or Armenia. But if, so, if you say it, I'm sure there's some spice into it, as I say. Yeah, yeah. I love accents too. Absolutely. I think they make us unique. Hells Yeah. Yeah. Did it bother you when people was making fun of you with your accent? Um, I don't think they were too harsh on me with the accent. I think there were just a little bit of jokes, but kind jokes. So See right there, you said jokes in a different way. <laughs> I love it. So how was the experience moving to England, being in a multicultural society? It was great. I was there for a couple of months and... First, it was unusual. Uh, I kind of, I felt a little bit out of place, hmm. but then the curiosity kicked in and I started just asking questions about everything, everyone who I hmm. met, uh, you know, what, what, what kind of food they eat, what kind of music, what are the traditions in their country. And I was very surprised how much people would share that and how much would I learn. Like I could go on a train ride with someone for a couple of hours and learn more about the country that I've learned in the last 19 years of my life, you know, and that's pretty impressive. So um, it was definitely a great experience. I loved it. Did you stay with someone or did you stay in this campus? We stayed with, um, with a group of people staying in a house together. From Ukraine? From all over the world. Okay. Now. Okay. Yeah. I bet that was good, man. I love. I would love that. Like just being in a house with like ones from China, ones from India, ones from this place. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And we had to learn a lot from each other. Hmm. Um, and we had to also find a ways to communicate with each other because remember, we're all international students, right? We're there to learn English. Yeah. So there was still a barrier, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes we had to explain things with our hands. Or like draw things or show pictures. <laughs> draw that things. was interesting. <laughs> Did you really like carry like a notebook just drawing it? I had a phone. Yeah, I had a phone and I would like just have images of uh, the words that I couldn't remember in English. And I knew <laughs> that sometimes those words would come up and I'm like, I'm just going to have an image. So in case. <laughs> what year was this? This was uh, 11 years ago. Mm. So whatever year that. I'm not good in to. math. Why would you do that? <laughs> that would be uh, 2009. Okay. There you go. Why did you not just say 2009? Why do you I have to, to do torture the math too. <laughs> <laughs> How long did you stay there? Uh, for two months only. Yeah, okay. Not too long. A couple of months and I went back a couple of times to visit. Whose idea was it for you to go there? Was it your parents or you just like, yo, mom, dad, I'm bouncing? It was me. I wanted to go. And my parents were actually resisting it because they thought I was too young to go somewhere on my own. I was only 19. Hmm. I was a pretty naive kid. 
So they didn't want me to get hurt or to get into bad stories. So they were protective of me, but it took some convincing and then I convinced them eventually. Mm. You don't want to be like the girls in Taken, the movie, you know? Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then you say, Dad, it's the people from our country that do the kidnapping, not the other way around. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So when you got there and you visit a little, you told me you visit, when did you realize I want to move to Canada or was it, it could be anywhere? When I was 20, it was more of I could move anywhere as long as it's multicultural country. So I considered US, I considered Australia, I considered New Zealand, London was on the list to UK. I think I ended up with Canada because A, it was very safe. Um, I didn't know anyone here, which was a good thing for me because I wanted to start from scratch. Okay. Like I wanted to build a life from scratch and Why? come here and just because I think there is a exciting feeling of building your life and standing on your feet on your own and guiding yourself through whatever challenges you get along the way versus having people around you telling you what to do. Mm. I think there is a magic and beauty in it. And I wanted to experience that. I agree. It's like when you travel, you know, you can read a book, say, hey, go here, go here, go here. But if you just wander around and you finally saw a temple or a, like, I don't know, a lagoon, you'd be like, yo, this is the shit right here. Yep. And you, the thing is, you can never replicate that feeling. Yeah, it's excitement. It's something about it. Yeah, exactly. If you don't mind me asking, were you working in Ukraine? for you to enable yourself to go to Canada and spend, you know, gazillion money to immigrate? No, I was actually a student and I did have part-time gigs here and there, but I wouldn't say it was enough for me to immigrate. Hmm. So I was fortunate enough and lucky enough to have parents who support me the first two years of immigration. And that's mm. here. That's like, um, was the Robin Williams joke about Quebec? that Quebec is like a high school kid that wants to move out, but it still asks money from the parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Never heard that. <laughs> it's an old joke by him. Rest in peace, obviously. So where did you land in Canada? It was always Toronto. Yeah. Ex Yo, what, you got a problem with Montreal? I've been to Montreal twice. Mm. And I think it's the, the French language that doesn't do for me. Yeah, it is. It's difficult. but other I than love the, the city, though. It's beautiful. Oh, better than Toronto, I'm sorry. It is, yes. It's got way more history in it. Yeah, it just has that extra sp spice, as we say. You know, yeah. Even though I love Toronto. Every time I go to Toronto, I always feel... Because, like you said, it, Quebec has that English-French happening that you always, you're always like hesitant to say hi to a person. In Toronto, you know it's going to be a hi. It's not going to be a bonjour or a hi. Right. That's why yeah. I always like, I always enjoy going to Toronto. It's just, I know I can just say hi. But it's too expensive for me to move. I see. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. Toronto is very expensive. Oh, I know. I don't know how you guys live there, man. So you were a student when you moved to Canada? 
Yes, I came to study first. I studied marketing for two years, hmm. and then I launched my career in marketing from there. Mm-hmm. Why not linguist again? I think I was looking for a change. Linguistics has been there for four years of my life in the university, and I loved it. And it's a great skill to have languages. And mm. I think I was just curious about what else is out there in marketing mm-hmm. happened to be one of the things where I could still explore because um, marketing is a lot about consumer behavior. Mm. And in linguistics, we actually learned a lot about behavior of people as well through the language. So I thought it was connecting very nicely for me. Mm-hmm. So marketing was a good choice. Nice. I like what you said that language shows how people react or how people act. Because, yeah, like how would a person back in the day decide a bottle is called a bottle? Yeah, there is something about languages that you can learn from. You can learn the traditions of the the country or people who speak it. You can learn um, what kind of energy they had. Um, you know, while they were building up a country. So you can you can tell a lot from it. Yeah. When you moved to Toronto, did you know anyone there? Or nothing, no one at all? No, it was just me. Holy shit, man, you got balls. Excuse my <laughs> language. <laughs> I guess, yes. <laughs> That is brave, man. For you to move by yourself, you don't know anyone. Wait, did you... I don't know. I don't know. I guess there's Google then. It was 2011, you say. So I guess you Googled where are the apartments or where you can stay, right? Yes. I had a host family. Mm. So I rented out a room in their house and they were hosting me. And it was a very nice, actually, Filipino family. Oh, sweet. And it was absolutely amazing to live with them. I stayed with them for eight months and I loved it. I'm sure the house stinks with fish and whatnot. <laughs> But I like fish, so it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did they spoil you? Did you gain 15 pounds because of staying with them? Yes, they were very <laughs> kind to me. Um, they were feeding me all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the lady who I stayed with, the mother of the family, she mm-hmm. actually was, um, was acting just like my mom at the beginning. You know, when I came to Canada, she... Mm-hmm. She took me to banks. She showed me around. Mm-hmm. Um, she told me what areas to go and what areas not to go in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So it was um, it was very, very kind of them. And I'm, I'm forever grateful to them for that. You still in contact with them? Yes. Every now and then we meet up. With awesome. COVID, we haven't, unfortunately, for a long time. But mm-hmm. yes, I'm still in touch with them. How did you find them? Internet. I'm trying to remember. It was a website where um, host families would post availabilities of rooms on mm-hmm. on that site, um, and I found them on that website. How do you know it's legit? You you talk to them. I had a call with them, and they showed me some pictures of themselves. Um, they showed me pictures of the room, so I knew where I was going and what it's going to look like. And then it, it the same goes for them too, right? They want to make sure that whoever is coming to their house is a legit person. Of course. Yeah. So they would they would ask me some questions too. I had some interviews with them. So I knew mm. they were real. They were good. 
I read that your primary goal of moving was to quote unquote run away from your problems. What kind of problems were those? I think it comes comes back to me feeling very different in that country. Hmm. Um, and this is not country's fault. This is just the way I've perceived things at that point. I never felt like I truly belonged there. You know? hmm. I never felt like I could truly connect with someone on, on the various levels. Mm-hmm. It just didn't feel like home. And it was very unfortunate because it's a beautiful country and I have a lot of friends there. Um, but it wasn't, wasn't doing it for me. So I, I always knew that for me to, to gain that confidence in me, for me to learn about myself and discover myself and discover things in the world that I secretly knew I wanted to discover... Hmm. I I had to move abroad. Being away from that country now and, you know, being alone, have you had a chance to think about why were you never felt at home in Ukraine? It uh, It's a good question, you know. There are a couple of things there. I think first is I could never relate to the the culture fully. Um, even though I, I know it, I understand it and I like it, mm-hmm. but I could never relate to, um, to this, like one culture. Like I always wanted the diversity. Why? Because my family was, um, quite diverse. I had family all over the world. Mm-hmm. So Armenians, they're typically all over the world because our country is very small. Uh, but there's a lot of us outside of our country. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can relate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always had, you know, relatives coming from different countries to visit us, or we would go to visit them. Um, and I would always see different point of views, even though we were all Armenians, but still we, we had some, some uh, flavor of a different country in it. And I would come back to Ukraine and I would try to, talk to my peers and friends about it um, and they wouldn't seem to be very interested in it or wouldn't understand me. Yes, I can agree to this because a few years ago I came back to visit Philippines and I you know I saw my old friends that have been friends since we're like I don't know 10, maybe younger. And I came and it was different. It felt like it felt like there was a gap like a literal gap between them and me. And sometimes I'll just step back to just watch them. And if I felt like they're just living their lives without me, they are not, they're okay. Yeah. How about mindset with your friends? Was there ever, ever a problem? Like, let's say there's a topic that comes out since them staying in the same country, same perspective, pretty much. You have seen different perspective. Has there been an issue between that, between you guys? Yes, definitely. I think um, when it comes to relationship, maybe there were some issues there, right? Like Armenian families are very conservative. Mm. And, um, you know, we, we sort of see the relationship in a very conservative way of you, you find your one love, you get married, 
yada yada. Mm-hmm. Not that it has to be that way by any by any way. Um, but it was different when I was a teenager, right? So for me, a concept of uh, dating multiple guys and going mm. out and Zara, oh my, and God. having like five boyfriends at the same time. That What's was the neighbors uh, gonna say? That's right. Yes, that's the way I was raised. I was raised uh, with a very, yeah, I guess like a conservative approach of you got to find the one. And if you don't find him, uh, then it's okay, but you got to keep looking. And my mom was very open and liberal about me going out and dating other guys, right? Mm. It wasn't like, even though it's in a culture but my my family understood that we live in a different country so they were very liberal and open about those things mm-hmm. but yet i felt this pressure from the society to you know not to do it um so it was creating some resistance right as i was talking to my teenager friends mm-hmm. they had all these stories about their, their relationships and i didn't and i was uh, I was in a box. I was I was learning about different cultures. I was thinking about how to move abroad. So it was a very different mindset. Mm-hmm. Is your boyfriend Ukrainian? No, he's Italian. He has Italian background. Actually, he he's Canadian, but he has Italian background. Okay. Yeah. So how much do your family hates him? No, <laughs> just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, they love him. They absolutely love him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think it was ever in my family. Like, I have to find an Armenian guy, Ukrainian guy. It was more find a guy who loves you and respects you and who you mm-hmm. love and respect. Um, and that, that's it. And then the next pressure is, when's the baby coming out? <laughs> yes, that's always there. <laughs> <laughs> What do you usually say? Uh, when the baby wants to come out, it'll come out. <laughs> I bet. I, I love this, like, the new generation that like some of my friends they don't want to have babies at all and most of them are the women's side they i don't want to have babies i don't want to have kids a lot of this a lot of that you know and i always tell them yeah hells yeah girl go get it i mean if you don't want you don't want you know because i don't want you to have a baby and then you're gonna be a shitty mom we don't need shitty people we have enough of them yeah yeah that's a really good point absolutely you really gotta want it Exactly, because it's a lot of work. It is. So I'm assuming you didn't have a car when you moved, right? How many times you got lost? Uh, bad lost, five. I remember <laughs> all five of them when I was just, I have no idea where I was. And this mm-hmm. was at the beginning when I moved. Mm-hmm. Um, my phone wasn't working at the beginning. So I don't, I don't know what was happening there. I couldn't get it work with Canadian cards and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a GPS handy and I had to rely on, you know, like hundred years ago, I had to rely on maps and mm-hmm. asking people around and remembering where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And that didn't always work out. So I got lost a couple of times, um, but they're very kind people in Toronto who mm-hmm. directed me to the right place eventually <laughs> when they saw me almost crying. <laughs> um, <laughs> With your puppy eyes. Yes. That's funny, man. I know that's that's one thing that I don't think has been talked about enough. That like you get lost all the time when you're new, especially you. You're in the city. Mm-hmm. So while you're studying, were you allowed to get a job? 
yes, in Canada, I was. I was allowed to have a part-time job on the side. Hmm. And I did actually, um, especially in summer when the weather was nice. Hmm. And it was a great experience. A, it's good to meet new people, right? Because you don't have a lot of friends when you're hmm. new. Um, you build your network. You meet people that potentially can help you with the job eventually. So it's a networking opportunity too. Mm-hmm. And then you make extra money on the side that helps you with smaller things. What kind of jobs did you get? I first, I was selling trampolines for a long time. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> no way. Yeah. Okay, pitch it to me. So it was this great company that invented trampolines without springs, actually. So what they did were they replace it with? Um, they had this whole system working out. I, I don't want to get into too much details, but um, they were able to replicate it with just the rods and the, the sort of a mat that goes on top of it. Mm. So you don't have to have springs in it. So it's a very safe trampoline. because a lot of injuries on the trampoline with kids were happening because kids were falling on the springs or springs were popping out. Mm. So it was a spring-free trampoline. And it was very safe, and it was a very cool and fun product to work with. Mm-hmm. We would go to these big events, like community events, yeah. set up a trampoline there. And then kids would come and jump on the trampoline. And while a kid is jumping on the trampoline, you're selling the trampoline to the kid, basically, to the kid's parents. Did you ever have to go on the trampoline? They're like, hey, yeah, guys. To, to demonstrate a couple of things, yeah, to get people excited. Yeah. That's it was amazing. a great job. I loved it. You did? Okay. What's your worst job? I don't think I had a worst job. I've never done anything retail or anything like that. I kind of dodged that, Mm -hmm. which I think helped. Yeah. All my jobs were great. Really? There's no at least one like uh, that one. If I have to choose... No, I can't. I can't think of anything. Like I'm just keep thinking about all my jobs and they were all uh they were all fun. Or maybe you're just a positive person that you think like everything is amazing. Well, I think you can find good and bad in anything, mm-hmm. right? It's up to you, it's your attitude. And your attitude is what shapes the reality you live in. Amen, so, for sure. Yeah. So how was your school experience? Was it challenging for you? At the beginning a bit, yeah, it took me some time to get used to the school system, the grading system. English was still a bit of a challenge. Hmm. But it took me, I guess, six months to get to a good spot where I'm comfortable. Hmm. Which one do you think is more challenging school system, Ukrainian or Canadian? I think Ukrainian school system is a bit more complicated. Mm-hmm. So there's... a um, various levels of um, grades and points so it's a it's a bit more complicated mm-hmm. um, so I enjoyed actually here in in Ontario and Canada it's it's pretty straightforward once you go through it once it's mm-hmm. pretty straightforward do you still get those moments of I still can't believe I'm in Canada yes I still do which is crazy because it's been nine years, almost nine years that I'm here. I've been here 15 years and yes, I still get that. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be like walking and like, eh, whatever, you know, like my head's in the clouds and I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, shit, I'm in Canada. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, my parents still get it. After 30 years living in Ukraine, they still have those feelings, too. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I wonder if it ever leaves. I don't think so. I think it's just in your identity. You you just remember being in a different country and growing up in a different country as a child, right? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you're you're just grown up in a different country. It feels surreal. Yeah, for sure. In your early years, were there like time in your life that you felt like you're such an immigrant? I had a bit of I guess, small cultural shocks. And that's where I knew I was an immigrant Mm. in Canada. Mm. So the first one was with coffee, actually. Mm. So in Canada, in Toronto, um, they love double doubles, Mm -hmm. which is a coffee with the two sugars and two creams. Mm -hmm. For me, that was a cultural shock because I grew up drinking black coffee. It was always black, nothing else. I was supposed to be. Yeah, I guess. Um, I guess in Europe and uh, Middle Eastern countries, it's a bit more of a black coffee. So for me, mm-hmm. the fact that you put so much into your coffee that you don't even taste the coffee itself, that was that was a shock. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like, yeah, I am, I am immigrant in this country because everyone loves it and I don't understand this. Did your friends make fun of you? They teased me a bit about it, yeah. But I did give it a fair shot. I tried it a couple of times. It didn't work for me. So do you still drink coffee black? Yes, most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, in the Philippines, we put so much sugar that you don't taste the coffee. Yeah. It's supposed to be nice and rich. Anything else that you can remember? The jokes. I think one time I was in the party and um, it was... 90s party so we started talking about our experience in the 90s as mm. as we're all growing up we're all about the same age mm-hmm. and our experiences were vastly different <laughs> so i've heard everything from like canadian side of things and then i was thinking about my experience and the shows that we watched mm. right the, the the movies the the music the like educational shows as a kid they were all different so when my Canadian friends started talking about the the shows and having this nostalgic moments of like, oh, remember this, remember that, I didn't know any of that. And that's when it hit me. I was like, okay, yes, um, I grew up in a completely different environment. I need to review some stuff. Yeah, I actually wrote down some shows that I had to like watch and I started watching them slowly. So then I understand the jokes around them. I understand what people talk about sometimes because there's references to the shows sometimes, right? Yeah, that's funny. That happened to me a little bit, but Philippines is very Americanized. So sometimes here they'll talk about, you know, American shows still. But sometimes, like you said, they'll, be, they'll start talking about Canadian show. Like what's the name of the guy? Mr. Mr. Muppet? Mr. Puppet? Like a kid show. And my friends will be like, remember the show? Remember the show? And I'll be like, I'm not from here. What are you talking about? Yeah. And then, yeah. or sometimes they'll ask me something like, oh, remember that band? They're so good. So it got so old that I made a rule with them. I said, hey, if it's 2003 below and it's Canadian, most likely I don't know, okay? 2003 and beyond, I'm good. If it's 2003 and below, it's other than Alanis Morissette or Neil Young or Celine Dion, don't talk to me about it. 
That's a good rule. I like well, that. Well, they didn't follow, but you know what I mean? <laughs> but you tried, yeah. <laughs> you know? So can you say you have successfully assimilated to Canadian society? I'd say I'm 80, 90% there. Yeah. There's What's still missing? some things. Um, I think there's a lot of, like, like I said, cultural things like shows and movies. There's always that. And that's pretty much it, really. Other than that, I think I've embraced it. So start watching movies. There's a lot of them to catch up. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, what movies? There's not much really like Canadian movies. I guess not Canadian, but maybe U.S. movies too that oh, in yeah. Ukraine were not available at that point. I'm sorry. I was thinking like, yeah, I was thinking myself like, no, it's like American movies is like all over the world. <laughs> Yeah, there were definitely, but um, there were, or there were in, so I was watching those movies in Russian in a lot of mm. times. So the names of the movies are different because in Russian, they translate it differently. Like horrible translation. Yeah. So sometimes <laughs> I might have even watched that movie, but because the name doesn't ring a bell for me, I would say no. And then I would start explaining the movie and I'd be like, oh, yes, I actually watched it. Oh, girl, I get that all the time. So after you've graduated, I'm sure you found a job. What kind of job did you get? Yeah, I started um, right away in creative advertising. So mm. when I was in school, creative advertising was my dream job. And I got it two months after I graduated. I was lucky. And I loved it for the first six, eight months. Um, you know, it was exciting. It was everything that I was looking for when I was a student. And then I realized that it's not really me. Hmm. It was a little too too creative for me, too, um, too many ideas, too many opinions. And there was, <laughs> there was some clashing happening there. Hmm. So I realized that I'm actually a more rational person. And I like math. I like numbers. I like understanding and having like maybe more solid um, explanation of things. Hmm. So I went into... Um, operations and analytics of marketing. So it was still the same industry, but just different angle. And I've been an analyst for five years. Um, absolutely liked it at the moment. And then when COVID hit, I think I started thinking about my life and what do I want to do next? Like a lot of people did. Mm -hmm. And um, numbers were just not bringing me enough joy and fulfillment in life. They're numbers, you know? They're numbers. Yes, I mean there are people who love them, um, mm -hmm. but I think I was, I was meant to do more. I was meant to explore more, and I wanted to explore that creative side of me. Um, and I always loved communication and talking to people. Right, being a linguist, it was always language and communication was part of my life always. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started realizing that something needs to change. I was very burnt out at work at that point, so I um, looked into ways of thinking about things differently and coaching came along. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I've actually gone through extensive coaching when I was 19 before moving to Canada. I had a coach. I went through a coaching course. I learned about coaching because I knew that when I moved to a new country, I needed those like supporting tools for myself to, to live and survive in a new country. So coaching was that toolbox for me. Coaching of what? Life coaching. 
Okay, can you explain life coaching? It is, this is something I always see. Like I feel like everyone's like a life coach now, but I, no one really explained what life coaching is. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you an example. Like, for example, if you have a goal to get somewhere, mm-hmm. like you have a goal to um, make a million dollars, you know, and getting to that goal might have a certain steps, might have certain obstacles, it might have difficulties and challenges and good and bads, right? It's a up and downs. Mm-hmm. So a coach is a person, life coach is a person who helps you who supports you along the way, along your journey to that goal of yours. So when you have those ups and downs, coach supports you to get up there. Coach supports you to find resources, multiple resources, tangible and intangible. Um, Coach can also help you with learning and understanding more about yourself, what your passions are, what you like to do. And why do you even want that million dollars? What are you going to do with it? What What's so important about it? Buy a yacht. Right? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You have an answer. So it's the person that holds your hand, basically, and, and walks with you as you get into your goal. Like a mentor? Like a mentor, yes. The difference between a mentor and a coach mm. is a coach is a person who is going to ask you to tap into your own inner wisdom and your own inner truth mm-hmm. versus a mentor is a person who's going to most likely give you an advice of how to do things. So coach will never tell you how to do it. Coach will ask you thought provoking questions that will help you to find the right way for you to do it. Okay. So why would I go to you to a coach, a life coach instead of a therapist? Therapy and coaching even though they can be related. So therapy in a lot of cases looks in your past life. Okay. So it looks in your childhood and you go in there and you heal the traumas from the childhood. So then today you can do whatever you want to do. Coaching is very much about the present time. So where you're at today in your life and where do you want to be in future? So it's very much future oriented. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference. So, But if someone wants to hire a coach, a life coach, let's say, and they're broken, they need to go back to therapy. Would you tell that person, you need to go to therapy first before you come to me? Sometimes that's the case, yes. Sometimes there are very deep childhood wounds and traumas. They need to be healed in the Mm -hmm. therapy before working with a coach. Or sometimes you can work simultaneously with a coach and the therapist together to sort of figure out the past and look at the future. Yeah, I see that. I see that. Is it like... You know, like in AA, you have like a person that you call. Is that like that? Like anytime I could call you like, hey, Sarah, I'm feeling this. What should I do? With the life coaching, it's more of a structured um, weekly sort of a touch base. Mm. The person can reach out. Absolutely. Um, I think the question won't be what what do I do? Mm -hmm. Because like I said, the coach will never tell you what to do. Um, but it will be more of a sharing of the situation and then the coach will start asking the questions to get you to the answer. Hmm. And they all, the answer is always in you. Oh, yeah. It's always in you. It's always going to be in you. Go for a hike and ask your, that question. The answer is there. 
like recently I've been listening to this audio book by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Blink. And it's pretty much the books about trust your gut. Like if there's something comes up, you know the answer. You're just afraid. Let's say, oh, should I, you know, quit my job and be a coach? Like, you know the answer. Why would you ask that question if I'll be a terrible coach, by the way. I'll be like, I'll be like, get your shit together. Be a man or be a woman and push those feelings down and start going forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's exactly what coaching is about, right? It's um, it's about knowing that you have the answer and that the mm. client has the answer. Mm. It's just helping them to get there, to navigate through those fears, through those self doubts, and things that come up. Mm-hmm. But by the way, I used to coach the preteens, like ten to ten to sixteen year old kids in basketball, and I'll say. It's probably one of my favorite things that I've ever done. I haven't I haven't done it for a while because of COVID, obviously. But it's it's I love it. I love coaching. It's it it teaches you more than anything else. If you're a good coach, obviously, it makes you a better person. Yeah, absolutely. And just like sports coaching, the life coaching does the same thing. We just look at your life as opposed to a sport. Yeah, you're like this is well. Do you want to go to Door A or door B? Well, you know, you take a step forward and you'll see. <laughs> there you go. You're a natural life coach. Who, me? No, don't listen <laughs> to me. I'll be like, get your shit together. <laughs> I would say I'm a good basketball coach. I was, I was really good at it. What makes you a good coach? The sense of compassion and understanding and openness to my clients and to what they truly desire in their life. So I completely dissociate myself from the situation that the the client is explaining to me because I have so much respect to their model of world, to the way that they think about the world and to the way that they perceive the world, that I will never judge you for whatever you're saying. I will always be that neutral person who just listens and asks the questions to evaluate um, your decisions in life, if you are looking for that, and sort of to alleviate any pressure that you're putting on yourself, because we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves, and elevate you too as a person, right? Hells yeah, that's the best part. Yeah. I like that you said that I'll be a good life coach. And then you said judgment. I will be a horrible coach. I'll be judging all the time. <laughs> well, maybe not the right choice then for you. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Eh? So what are the books that you read that help you become a good coach? Recently, I've read Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. And uh, I absolutely love that. Um, there are multiple books on a manifestation uh, in the understanding of um, what people and why people think the way they think. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blanking out on the, on the authors right now, um, but there is a book of uh, self-love alchemy. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I'm blanking out on the, the name of the author right now. Um, That's okay. What the name of the book is? Love alchemy? Self-love alchemy. Self-love. Okay, okay. 
So yeah, there, there's a multiple. I mean, um, I have like a huge list of things that uh, I could share with your audience, actually, if they ever want to dive deeper into that. Um, mm-hmm. There's quite a few good ones. So you mentioned manifestation. This is like, I'm like 50-50 on manifestation. It could be like a bit hokey, but it could also be real, to be honest, because I always remember when I was young and I didn't have money, right? And I was like, I was like, I want to play, I want to play video games. And we had to rent the video game. And I kept on saying, like, I wish I could find money. I wish I could find money. I wish I could find money. Yo, I found money in the street. Like little things like that. I guess I guess that's manifestation. And then there was one time I was I was kind of got in trouble. I was coming home late and I kept on saying, like, I'm not gonna get hit. I'm not gonna get hit or I'm gonna not gonna get shit. I came home, it was like nothing. It was like, oh, you're home now, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your thoughts create your reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but then again, on the side, like, because I have spoken to some people, they're like, well, there's some people, they're like, start thinking about a million dollars and a million dollars just pop out out of nowhere. What would you say about that? I think manifestation for me is it's your thoughts and your beliefs and your energy that you bring into that wish of yours to whatever Mm -hmm. you're manifesting. So obviously thinking about a million dollars, if that's your goal. That's helping because you're sending signals to the energy and and an energy to the universe. But there is a second aspect of it is taking an action on on the goal, right? Mm -hmm. So it's wanting it and thinking about it and sending energy to the universe about it, Mm -hmm. but also taking an inspired action towards that goal. And the word inspired here, it's the, the key because when you take an action from an and energy and a place of knowing that it's going to happen, then it's most likely going to happen and manifest in your life. Mm-hmm. If you take an action from the place of, oh, this is this is not real, it's never going to happen, and then at night you're thinking about the million dollars and hoping that those two will somehow connect, it won't. So you have to 50% work for a 50% manifested, would you say? I say it's 80-20. So it's 80% of your mindset work, it's mm. 80% of you raising your energy vibrations, and then 20% of the strategy and the work that you put into it. 80% just thinking of it and 20% working for it? 80% thinking of it and then 80% thinking of, of the thoughts that are going to help you to get there, right? So... Like I said, anywhere on any goal, you might have obstacles and you might have fears, right? So those fears will pop up along the way. So your mindset, that 80%, is what helps you to get over those fears and take an action in spite of those fears showing up. Because if the fear is the only thing that's holding you back, no matter how many times you do something, you're always going to have this like scarcity in it. So you're never going to give you 100% to it. <laughs> yeah, that fear, man. That's That word of like, you're not going to make it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that the voice in your head, you're not going to make it. That's the and best voice. <laughs> that voice in your head is really just trying to protect you. This is your subconscious mind just trying to protect you from hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also puts you into this little prison, into this little cage. So the breakthrough it, and to get to that goal 
the mindset work is is 80% of the work. And then mm-hmm. once you set up your mindset, your energy, your manifestation, whatever you call it, wishful thinking, then the steps to get there get much easier. And then that 20% gets much easier. Mm, I like it. I like it. I like that. Do you have anything to add on the conversation? No, I think this was great, actually. I, I do enjoy it a lot. And um, you're, you're very good at asking questions. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I'm just curious, I guess. But thank you. Yeah, yeah there's a natural curiosity there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So before we close out, one more question. What's your goal for 2022? My goal for 2022 is to um, serve and coach over 50 people. Mm-hmm. I, I want to reach 50 people at least and, and help them to transform their life. And my goal for 2022 is to be present and grateful for every day that I receive. Mm. Yeah, I love that you said that be present and be grateful. I always tell that to people like, yo. Just be grateful, bro. Yeah. yeah. Gratitude is one of the ways that you can actually raise a vibration real quick. So the more grateful you are to the things that you have in your life, the faster you will manifest things that you want. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Again, Zara, thank you for coming on the podcast. This has been really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Again, Zara, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.